Welcome to the Work-Life Brilliance Podcast with executive coach and best-selling author, Denise Renee Green. Denise fills each episode with humor, compassion, knowledge, and pragmatism to help you transform your life. Listen in and learn how you can tame your brain, lower your stress, and become the person you were born to be. Hello, my friend, and welcome. Thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm kind of internally giggling at myself because when I am asked, how are you, I often tell the truth. And then I wonder, did they really want to know? But that's just how I am. I'm a little authentic. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're also going to talk about how to be appropriately authentic, which I try to remember to do and that not everybody wants to know exactly how I am in copious amounts of detail. So I'm going to kick us off with a quote from one of my heroes growing up, Dr. Seuss, who said, be who you are and say what you feel, because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. But how do we know who we are and what we feel? And how do we get over minding when people don't like what we say and what we feel? That is, my friend, what we are talking about today. And even before I um, decided to do this podcast, I was watching a movie with my daughter, Pleasantville. I don't know if you've seen that. It is such a great movie, at least in my opinion. It is technically brilliant, um, artistically brilliant, and also acted beautifully, casted beautifully. And if you remember, it's all about... Um, a brother and sister who get pulled back into an alternative reality in the TV in 1958, black and white and gray world. And in the movie, crazy things start to happen when people start being more authentic, when they start taking risks, and when they start tapping into hidden truths when, within themselves that have heretofore been hidden They start to see in color, and they start to live in color. And it's quite obvious to others that something is changing within a person when everybody else is walking around in gray, and another person has this vibrant dress on. Anyways, it's beautifully done, wonderful metaphor, wonderfully executed. So highly recommend that for any age, almost any age. There is a lot of sex talk, I must admit. But um, I also want to turn your attention to a different art form, that of the book, which you know, I love books, and I've been reading a lot lately. And um, I want to tell you about a book by Chip Conley called Emotional Equations. I have a feeling this one's going to pop up in several podcasts because nearly every chapter is a different emotional equation. And they are fascinating. I never thought in terms of thinking about emotions mathematically. And he describes why he comes up with the equation, and then he describes how to use the equation to create what's missing for you in that equation. So, for example, today's topic, authenticity. The equation is authenticity equals self-awareness multiplied by courage. And he is um, 
he is clear in that it's a multiplication problem, not an addition problem. As you might think, addition would work, and it would. But his point is that multiplication is more powerful, more amplified than addition. So if you take 10 plus 2, you're going to get 12. But if you take 10 times 2, you're obviously going to get 20. And that's how self-awareness and courage interact. When you have one, you don't get authenticity. When you have both, you get powerful authenticity. So let's look at self-awareness first. If you have self-awareness, that means you know who you are. But if you lack courage, you won't show the rest of the world who you are. So it's not enough. And then if you have courage without self-awareness, that could lead you to go on way down the wrong path in life, pretending, maybe going noisily down that path, posturing, judging others, because, hey, you've got the courage to say what's on your mind, but you don't know your own mind. When we show courage that equals authenticity, we are doing the courageous thing of dropping the mask. You know the mask. We have lots of masks. We have a mask for home. We have a mask for work. We have a mask for church. We have a mask for the grocery store, uh, for the policeman that pulls us over. And sometimes we forget what is beneath the mask. At work, we can have many masks. You can have the one for when you're talking to your boss, when you're talking for the executive team, when you're talking to your best friend at work, your direct reports, uh, people on your team, or people in that other tribe who aren't part of your team. It's like we can show up as a completely different person. Now, in a little bit, I am going to talk about how to show up appropriately for the audience without wearing the mask of inauthenticity. It's a little bit of an art, takes a lot of practice, but it is possible. And you have these interactions at work, and when you have them, your day goes better. Things get done more easily. I want to bring in another quote from Andre Gide, who said, It is better to be hated for what you are than to be loved for what you are not. Oof. Better, maybe, but easy, no. And again, this is where courage comes in. I don't know anybody, I'm sure there's somebody out there, but I don't know anybody who gets their kicks out of being hated. Most of us would really like to avoid that. We have these tribal brains that know that, you know, in the past, if we were hated, uh, we got kicked out of the tribe and we were dead. And now if we're hated, we might lose our job. Uh, we might have people say nasty things about us on social media. We might have people try to ruin our reputation. It's really not something most of us seek out. But the alternative to live somebody else's life is a really ugly alternative. And some of us have a harder time with this because we have to show more courage depending on how much our current tribe hates the self we really are. So for example, you know, if you grew up in a very right-wing conservative family and you're gay, you have to decide, am I going to risk complete ostracism and possible hatred to be myself? I mean, that is a tough choice. I was very lucky as a child to have parents who would have accepted, I think, pretty much anything I did, any person I was. 
And it was also a little bit of a challenge because I felt a little rudderless. I didn't have somebody telling me, this is who you are. This is what, this is what we believe as a family. So this is what you should believe. I had to find it myself. It's much easier to just take it from somebody else. But really, it takes courage to set yourself apart. And guess what? We are all unique. So we're always going to be setting us apart from somebody when we step into our authentic self. And if this is still a really scary topic for you, um, I suggest you go back and listen to the podcast about not taking things personally and also a more recent podcast about self-love, lovability, and worthiness. The wonderful thing, there's so many wonderful things about courage, but one of the wonderful things about courage is that it is contagious. When one person shows courage, it catches. And let's remember that the Latin and the French word courage has at the heart of it cur, which is literally means heart. Courage takes heart. It takes vulnerability. And if you have read any of Brene Brown's work, you uh, could almost deliver a masterclass in vulnerability. We know that vulnerability takes strength. It takes courage. It is not easy or more people would do it. It takes, I'm going to show you my underbelly and make myself weak and vulnerable and trust that I'm going to be okay. It takes vulnerability to tell the truth about yourself, about your thoughts, about your feelings in families, at work, in relationships, like for romantic relationships. Another book you've heard me talk about, Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott. She describes uh, authenticity in so many lovely ways. And one thing she says is the person who can describe reality without laying blame emerges the leader. That is the person who has the courage to say what everyone else is thinking and say it in a way that has no toxic energy behind it. Just putting it out there calmly and courageously. And this person, whether they're the boss or not, becomes the leader because they are setting the bar for authenticity. They are taking a leap of faith that builds a bridge. And that reminds me of another movie that you've probably seen, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, when he has to somehow cross this cavern and there is no visible path to getting there, but he knows that it is a leap of faith. He is literally told that it is a leap of faith. So, uh, very nervously, courage is not the absence of fear. It is the moving forward with fear, despite the fear. And so Indiana Jones lifts a foot very awkwardly and high and just steps forward into what appears like nothingness, but there is a bridge. And that is how I think about vulnerability and courage and authenticity. I'm going to step out there and see what happens. I might fall, unlike that scene. I'm not going to die, <clears throat> but I might fall. It might not feel good. Taking a cup of tea here. But I'm going to trust and see what happens. <clears throat> and then everybody behind him now can follow. That's that contagion. Like, oh, somebody just showed us the path. Now I can see it and we can cross it. 
in Fierce Conversations, Susan Scott talks about a tribe that calls what we call the elephant in the room, Imokita. That is the thing that everyone knows, but no one talks about. And they measure the health of a tribe based on how few Mokitas there are. The more things you can talk about, the healthier the tribe. And think about that in family systems and in teams and in couples. But it's hard. It's hard to be vulnerable and courageous. So what kind of conversations do we have instead? We have surface conversations, safe conversations, partial conversations that are really unfulfilling. And then hopefully we have somebody in our life that we can go and have the real conversation with. But that doesn't make progress. That just makes us feel better. In another great book, I've talked about difficult conversations. They talk about how, and it's they because it's three different um, awesome authors. They talk about in every challenging conversation, there are three stories going on, three conversations within it. One is the obvious what happened story. He said, she said. Then there is the identity story. How am I thinking this relates to me and what matters about my identity? And some people don't even know, but it is happening in the conversation. For example, it's rare that somebody's going to say, hey, what you just said triggers me because it challenges my desire to think of myself as a results-oriented person. No, they may not even realize that themselves, but you know that whatever you just said was like stepping on a landmine, and now this person is going into either deny, defend, or deflect mode. The last conversation of the three is the emotional conversation. And again, people may pretend they're being really logical, but you can tell when a conversation gets emotional. And sometimes the more we're hiding in a relationship, the more heightened the emotion is. So we pretend to be what other people and what society and what our brain tells us to be to keep us feeling safe. And some of the things our brain fears is upsetting others, missing out, and being seen as selfish. But if we are going to become an individual, the unique individual we have to be, we have to stop comparing ourselves to others and choose instead to discover and then live our authentic life. Here is an exercise from Fierce Conversations that she loves to do. And it's a shadow self exercise. At least that's what I'm going to call it. Because the thing that we dislike in others, the thing that we complain about in others, is often the thing that we are denying that we have in ourselves. So this is another way of getting at that. In her workshop, she asks leaders to use a word, fill in a blank with a phrase or a word that unfailingly describes you. Now, I can't even do this exercise because I have so much self-awareness that when I plug in a word, I immediately know that I have a shadow side of that. So, for example, I would probably plug in kindness to describe me, but I know it's not unfailing. I know I have my bad days. I know I can be a royal pain in the ass. Uh, if I think somebody is not being nice or being fair, then I'm not going to be very kind unless I tap into my desire 
to be kind. And that takes effort on my part, so I have to really work at that. But you can try this. <laughs> See what comes to you and test that self-awareness. And if you're on to yourself, think about what most annoys me in other person, in, in other people. So for example, maybe you hate it when people gossip. Well, do you ever find yourself gossiping about people? And then, hmm, I start to see more aspects of myself and more aspects that I want to embrace or I want to evolve. At the core of this is self-awareness and intention and lining the two of those up. We are fluid beings. So while we can have a core intention in life, we are going to be different moment to moment. This is not being inauthentic. This is just sometimes we're going to need to express or fulfill an aspect of ourselves more than other times. If you have ever been in the presence of someone who showed up without a mask, with their true self, not trying to prove anything, not trying to outshine, or to please you, or to pretend, you know that it is a gift. I'm guessing this doesn't happen very often in um, work interviews, but wouldn't it be refreshing if it did? Those people would probably get the job even if they weren't qualified, because it is so attractive to be in the presence of somebody who has one authentic self whose selves have merged into one, and they know how to bring forth themselves appropriately in the situation. It makes your brain have to work a lot less. There are no games. There is no guessing. There's just real and comfortable. And another thing I love is that we don't have to take care of their ego or try to mold ourselves to their needs. They are whole already. They don't need our help feeling whole. Now they would love to have us meet them with authenticity because that feels good to them too. We don't have to take care of them. When I meet with new people, uh, new clients, and especially in my group coaching kickoff, I have everybody do the brilliant life assessment. And one of the items that I have them measure their satisfaction and their value in is intimacy. Yes, I have business leaders measure their satisfaction in intimacy. And the way I think of intimacy as literally in to see me. In other words, allowing people to see who I really am. This, again, takes courage and it is rare and trying to present a facade, while it does take some work to think about what the facade should be, it feels safer and it feels easier. But when you find somebody who truly sees you, who truly accepts you, then you feel safe. You feel peace. And guess what? When it comes to that facade, people can tell. People can tell when you are not showing up completely and authentically, and their spidey sense goes up. If you're not being completely real with me, I'm not going to be completely real with you. That's how it usually plays out. But for much of our lives, we don't even realize that we are doing this. The process of growing up can be one big exercise of stepping into other people's expectations for you. 
and rather becoming rather than becoming conscious of and comfortable with your own dreams. And think of all the inputs we have. Our parents, our teachers, our sports coaches, our friend groups. Now, like I said, I was lucky. I was very strange in that my parents didn't give me a religion. Uh, they didn't even talk about politics. They didn't have any dogma for me. It was like, hey, be who you want to be. And I was confused. I was every type. I was a good student. I was a cheerleader. I was an athlete. Not a very good one. Um, but I love sports. I loved playing sports. I was sort of popular, but I was also a drama and chorus nerd. Uh, I use that word lovingly, nerd. Uh, so I had lots of different possible identities, and I definitely felt like a jack-of-all-trade. But I also felt like I had no identity, no real anchor, and I wanted one. I would ask my parents, what are we? Just tell me. Just tell me. And I think at one point my mom, my mom said Protestant, like, so I took that to school. Um, no, but what kind of Protestant? Oh, and we got a million of those in small-town Kansas, by the way. So that didn't help me either. It wasn't until I went to university that I started to feel at home in my real self. But I still was not courageous, and I still avoided conflict. And I uh, had very safe, quiet friendships where we didn't talk about big stuff. Why? I don't know. I think because I didn't have enough courage. It wasn't until I got a coach and then I joined New Ventures West coaching, year-long coaching program. And I remember the first exercise they did was very smart. Adopt this. If you are a leader or if you are starting a new group, set a timer for 10 minutes and have each person introduce themselves. Just monologue. And if they stop talking, you keep playing the timer. And if they continue to talk over the timer, you stop the mid-sentence. Man, it is fascinating. And of course, the lead coach, who was James Flaherty, he was uh, listening to find out what our level of self-awareness was. How did we see ourselves? How comfortable were we in our own skin? Uh, what blind spots did we have? What, which he could tell by projection. And it was just really fascinating and so liberating. So I just talked for 10 minutes about who I was. And it felt really, really good. And I felt really seen and held. The other thing that helped me was discovering the Enneagram and my personality type. And in the past, I'd always felt boxed in by personality type indicators. But this one really had me feeling seen. And then it showed me my path to development. So how could I make the most of my personality type by borrowing other types that I had a natural affinity for? So, for example, I am a type 9, which is the peaceful mediator, the conflict avoidant speaker of truths, the um, person who can translate for same language speaking people because we're empathetic and we hear it all. But we also hear so much and feel so much that we have to create boundaries, or it feels like we have to create a safe house to protect ourselves from all of the negative and toxic emotion that's out there. So nine has a big heart center. We come from a place of heart. 
But the good news is that it's not just all heart. I also have a connection to the six, which is the loyal skeptic. And that would be the head version of my type. The six will slow down and think about worst case scenario. So me, my nineness, I would just want to put my head in the sand. But the six in me says, no, let's look. Let's look at what could happen. And let's take a courageous step. And the three, which I also have a connection to, which is the competitive achiever, the three says, stop lollygagging around, you guys, and let's just do something. Let's just start and get it done. And it doesn't have to be an A+. You guys, it doesn't have to be perfect. We're going to survive, but we need to get something done. So that's my personality. I freaking love it. Uh, so you can try the Enneagram. My favorite instrument is um, the Integrative Nine. So integrative9.com. You can also Google uh, Jungian avatars, and you'll find 12 of those. And we're not just one thing, uh, but you can, get sent, you can get clues about things that resonate with you, that help you flesh out your particular version of you authentically. So sometimes we become so attuned to external, external antennae that we neglect the internal. And that's why these tools can be helpful to help us focus inward. And by antenna, I'm talking about, you know, you get that spidey sense when you hit on something that feels real for you or that feels toxic for you, like you're allergic to it. You get that sense when we tune ourselves into that, then we stop obsessing about looking good and just start following what feels right, what feels real. Another place this is really hard to do is social media. I mean, come on. I mean, how wonderful is it when you see somebody show up on social media authentically? No makeup. This is my messy house. This is what happened today. Like, wow. That took some courage, that took some guts, and it's hard to do. Uh, let's go away from social media for a minute and go back to Carl Jung. And he suggested that <clears throat> at some point, <clears throat> at some point we get tired of pretending. And we don't yet know who we are, but the pain of the facade gets real. And he says, the glowing coals of consciousness buried deep within the personality begin to break into flames. When this occurs, hitherto repressed and hidden aspects of the self may seem to overwhelm the conscious self, initiating a difficult period of disorganization of the personality. End quote. Otherwise known as mid-life crisis. That's why it sucks so bad. We're in flames. All these repressed aspects that we have been tamping down for decades overwhelm our consciousness. And we have more questions and more pain than we have answers for. We have to keep looking. So we could either, you know, have an affair, get a divorce, go buy a fancy car. We can have all these things that distract us or we can turn on our antennae and start to figure out What's real? Whose life am I living? Where am I wearing a mask and faking it? And how do I truly want to be? And then we have to make some courageous choices. What needs to change? 
what about me needs to change? Where in my life is it time to come out? To take off the mask. Now, taking off the mask does not imply that you suddenly become a bull in a china shop and you just spew your authenticity and your truth on other people. No, it's not like that. You can still be your authentic self and be appropriate to the situation, right? I mean, we're all authentically naked, but we don't walk around into business meetings naked. Maybe you have a place in your life. I hope you have a place in your life where you can be naked comfortably. Uh, but most of us know it's a special place. So there you go. That's the metaphor I decided on. All right. So in re getting away from the whole naked thing, it um, means that maybe naturally I swear. Y'all know this about me. But I'm not going to swear like a sailor in church. I'm not going to swear like a sailor on my podcast because you might have little ones listening. I'll try not to anyways. Um, or when I'm giving speeches in front of big crowds because I want my message to land. And in order to land, I need to make it through somebody's context. And not everybody's context likes swearing. But we can always bring our sense of self, our personality, our intention, and appropriate candor. One of my favorite stories from Brene Brown is... At the end of one of her workshops, a CEO said, Brene, I am totally bought in to this vulnerability stuff now. And I am going to tell the board of directors that I don't have a clue what I'm doing. And she's like, uh, hold on there, buddy. Hold the horses. That's not what I meant. <laughs> Unless you don't want to get funding for your company and you want all these people to be unemployed, um, you need to figure out how to show up at the board of directors authentically with a modicum of confidence, uh, because it is your job as a CEO to influence them. So find somebody that you can go and tell you have no idea what you're doing to. And maybe that person is a therapist, right? So it's about, yes, uh, he's not going to come and lie about how they're doing um, or what he knows, but he is going to find a way to authentically communicate while giving them the gift of knowing that he can hold himself together. So when you are triggered, you can take a deep breath and remind yourself, why am I here? And bring forth the part of you that knows, knows you have something to give and knows what that is, and the part of you that wants to connect honestly with others. And then you'll figure out your message. And if you still aren't sure if you're being appropriate, find somebody to listen to you ahead of time who knows that audience, and who can judge whether or not you're showing up with the appropriate amount of vulnerability and self-awareness and courage. I recently had a chance to sit in on a meeting I'm not usually allowed in. It was a coaching summit with one of the top leaders in a multi-billion dollar company, the second-in-command leader. And I was there just in case he wanted to hear about group coaching. And... I believe that executives are just like you and me, with bigger responsibilities and bigger paychecks. And yes, I get triggered just as much as anybody else. If he doesn't like my program, if I say something that offends him, you know, I'm getting a status threat because that could affect my livelihood. But the bigger part of me knows that everybody has human needs. Everybody has headaches. Everybody has good days and bad days. Everybody has stories they are not telling people. 
and it is a gift to connect with them at a human level. Executives very rarely get people being authentic with them and just being comfortable and casual with them. And so I try and bring that forward as much as I can, and I know that they need to have confidence in me. But I try and put my attention more on them than on me. On them in the sense that I want to be curious about what they see, what they fear, what they need, what's important to them. And then I can bring forth what's in me that would be helpful and resonant to them. In the work I do, not only do I have to build trust, I have to do it quickly. And recently, in the past month, for some reason, I have been getting all of these short-term, high-intensity projects. High visibility, high risk in that, you know, maybe something has been building up for years. And it's hit that point where if something doesn't change, something drastic needs to happen in somebody's career. And I just had a bunch of these. And so I'm having these really kind of intense conversations with people. And I have to, in very short order, gain somebody's trust who may be quite suspicious because this is not the way typical coaching happens. And talking to their stakeholders, and stakeholders are always a little bit suspicious because they've been burned in the past. They have shared what's true for them only to have it come back to them and haunt them. So dicey territory. And one of, I don't know, it was, it was one of the best compliments I've received. I was talking to somebody brand new and in about 15 minutes, 15 to 20 minutes on the conversation, this person says, 15 minutes ago, I had no idea who you were. And right now, I feel like I could trust you with anything. I was like, oh my gosh, wow, thank you. And as I was writing my notes up for this podcast, I realized it was because I was authentic and I was so present with this person that I could quickly grasp what aspects of me they needed in order to trust me. I didn't put up a facade. I didn't give them anything that wasn't real. Um, I just chose the things that would matter to them, and I amplified them. So yeah, you know, not everybody I'm going to talk to about online dating. But occasionally, that is going to be the right metaphor. <laughs> sports, metaphor sports metaphors almost always are the right metaphor. Um, but in fact, recently with online dating, I um, was talking to a client, and I um, have a beautiful relationship with, with her. And she was kind of stressed when she picked up the phone. And I just felt like we always start with what's distracting us. And I said to her, I am joyfully distracted right now. And I haven't told many people this, but for the first time in over two decades, I actually have a boyfriend. <laughs> and I'm telling this to a client. And it was like, the, there was a screech on the vinyl. Everything just stopped and got silent for about two seconds. And then she said to me, right now, you are my favorite person in the universe. <laughs> because I was real with her and I trusted her with this. And I took her out of whatever the thought loop was that was in her head about meetings, blah, 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 feedback she had to give, you know, the typical work stuff that stresses us out. I took her out of that. And I trusted her with something. So 
That felt authentic and appropriate at the time, but it wouldn't be appropriate with just everybody. But let's just say, I'm done pretending. I hope you'll be done pretending. I hope you get addicted to real as I have. Because as Susan Scott wrote, people can smell inauthenticity from a mile away. So always be yourself, unless of course you're a jackass. She literally wrote that. Always be yourself, unless of course you're a jackass. And let's face it, sometimes we are all jackasses. Sometimes we have bad days. And when we do that thing that we regret, or that we need to regret, it is time to take a breath, remember our core values, and the emotional wake we want to leave. And if you find that the emotional wake you want to leave is one of pain and suffering, which I don't think yours is, but if that's what you find, you need to get some help to deal with demons from your past that have shellacked a hard shell over your true self and over your heart that prevents you from showing true vulnerability. So those people who are the biggest jerks in your life, it's not because they were born jerks. They are protecting themselves. And so they might have ample courage, uh, or I'm sorry, ample courage, but not ample self-awareness. So the courage is translating into bombacity instead of vulnerability. So sometimes I can be a jackass. And sometimes I can just be plain old not very helpful because I want to help so badly that sometimes I will give clients advice way before I ought to be giving advice because I don't know enough yet. And then I back up and I say, wait a minute, you may have already tried that. Let's stop. I want to hear more. And then I have a few open-ended questions that I can ask them. And it's like I never even said it. Rewind and go back. So apologies are always welcome. You are not going to be perfect. You're going to be um, imperfectly authentic. And just be honest and do the best you can. So uh, back to the boyfriend. (laughs) The one place I have a lot of trouble being completely authentic is a pretty normal one, and that is in romantic relationships. I have lots of self-awareness, but I have little courage. So I don't say things out loud for fear of being misunderstood or judged. You know, I'm a very kind and loving person, and sometimes I think, oh, if I say something nice, they're going to think I want to marry them. I mean, these are the thoughts that go in my head. But this time... I adopted a strategy of of total transparency. This is who I am, and this is what I feel. And I figured the worst that would happen is that a person realizes quickly that I am not the person for them. And that's actually the best thing that could happen. Because wouldn't it be better to have an authentic relationship that is chosen based on reality than games that result in a relationship based on a facade and only later do we find out what's underneath the facade (laughs) but that's how we do it isn't that how we do it so i told them i said you can ask me anything and i will answer truthfully even if it's uncomfortable and he clearly he's a courageous person or else i probably wouldn't have even adopted this strategy but i felt like i could um One of the things he told me is that he wants a relationship, which took vulnerability. And the fact that I had not been committed to anyone in seven years since my divorce was a red flag. 
which I completely understood and I appreciated. So I explained my side of that, how I was not going to have a boyfriend until I thought it had real long-term potential. And then guess what he did? He listened, <laughs> but he wanted more proof. So he listened to four of my podcasts, uh, which is brilliant. Isn't that brilliant? Don't you wish everybody you dated had a podcast or everybody you married or everybody you were interviewing for, interviewing with, or everyone you were about to hire? Let's see who they think they are on the podcast. Well, he came back and said, well, you are who you say you are and everything that you told me was echoed before you met me. So there you go. Courage begets courage. It begets courage in those around you and within you. When you see that the thing that scares you is not going to eat you, the thing that scares you is actually not that bad at all. In fact, it's wonderful. It is a beautiful thing. We are building safety brick by authentic brick with every courageous act and phrase. When we have the safety, we feel seen, we feel appreciated, we feel free to talk about anything with very little fear about what's not being said. One last quote for you. Philosopher Martin Buber said that when two people relate to each other authentically and humanly, God is the electricity that surges between them. Let me say this again, and if you like, you can replace the word God with love or truth. I think kind of God and love are synonymous. So when two people relate to each other authentically and hum humanly, God is the electricity that surges between them. And I think the world could use a lot of that. We get chances constantly. That is the good news. If you're not courageous in this moment, you'll get another chance. You are constantly invited to drop the mask and show who you really are. So start small, start safe, and work your way up. And this is a beautiful practice to exercise your authenticity and see how well you can show up. And the way you'll know is by how people respond. What mokitas get talked about? What freedom is exerted? What safety and love and laughter is released? One last quote from Oscar Wilde. Be yourself. Everyone else is taken. So go forth today and be the best you you can be and just have fun discovering yourself and what delights you, uh, what turns you off, and take one courageous step today. Speaking your truth in true fierce context meaning without laying any blame, with love, with light, describing your reality. And if you'd like to share that with me, I would love to hear what you discover from your courageous endeavors. You can email me at denise at brilliancing.com. And for more support, more yummy tools, you can go to work-lifebrilliance.com. And if you aren't, ready, aren't already signed up, 
please join us at the Work-Life Brilliance Academy, wlbacademy.com. And it's been my pleasure to be with you. And um, I hope you have a lovely, lovely day. Thanks for listening to Work-Life Brilliance. If you want to be coached by Denise, join her in the Work-Life Brilliance Academy, where wholehearted humans are becoming the best version of themselves. Accepting applications now at wlbacademy.com.